Can everyone hear me in the back? Good morning. Mark, thank you so much about that. Um, normally, I have many problems. Usually, volume is not one of them. So, excellent. I'm going to move this down slightly, just so that we don't blow anybody away here. Uh, good morning, Wichita Church. How are you this morning? It is so good to see you, or at least most of you. Um, some of you look like we need more, another cup of coffee. I certainly know I do. Um, so you, you may find us at one of the local coffee shops later this afternoon recovering. Uh, but it is, my name is Jeff Henderson, my beautiful wife Amanda, my three fun kids is exactly right. Um, we're like Hurricane Henderson. So we touch down, uh, we eat your snacks, we hug everyone, we might destroy something and then we leave. That's been our style. So... Uh, if you get hugged by random kids, that's probably ours. Um, Millicent is, or Millie is seven. Juniper, or June, she's six. And Trey is four and a half. I'm getting a little bit of feedback. Amanda, yeah, Amanda is busy, actually. And so we are, uh, we're just, it's an honor and a privilege to be here. And I, I could imagine in Wichita, it's kind of a central transportation hub of the world. You guys get a ton of guest speakers. So I'm sure the judgment for my speaking this morning will be harsh and clean. So hopefully I can ask for grace this morning, as I think we all probably need. If you've got a Bible, turn on over to Matthew chapter 14. And this morning we're going to talk about storms. So I don't know, I'm, I'm sure from the, from the word, I don't know if any of us in here, how many of us feel like in the last 6 to 12 months that we faced any storms in our lives? How many of us could, uh, yeah, I remember, yeah, I remember I was, we, were, we were in Long Island actually a few months, uh, man, a month and a half ago, I guess now. And I asked that question and like a sister raised up both hands. She's like, praise Jesus, amen. I was like, wow, it's been a very stormful time in your life. Uh, so I don't know, maybe you're like that, sister. You'd raise both hands, and you, you absolutely agree. Or maybe you feel like, actually, uh, it's been pretty chill, and I'm kind of in between storms. I'm not sure how you guys have felt. Our family, we were in Sao Paulo, Brazil, for about two and a half years. So we were serving our church and leading church there in Sao Paulo. It's unbelievable, um, incredible. It's a city of 23 million people, so it's about the size of Wichita, give or take. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, you guys can imagine what that might be like, uh, driving the 15 minutes across town. Um, man, I, I, love how, I love being in a place with no traffic. There is some blessings. Uh, that is a great change of pace. Um, and, and so we came back on the 4th of July. So there's a bad country song waiting to be written by, about our life. We got back into Houston, Texas on the morning of 4th of July. Um, and we have kind of been on the road. I guess we would say. So I think this is the 12th city we've slept in in about the last nine weeks. So if you have, if you want to know how the weather and how places are in the different parts of the country, let us know. We probably, we could probably tell you. Um, so for us, this message actually matters a lot to us because, well, one, we feel like we certainly have been going through our, our types of storms. And I wonder if you have too. And the reality of it is, is that no matter, no matter how long you've been in Jesus, or if maybe you're visiting today and and you're just kind of figuring it out you're listening um figuring out even even if you want to begin to follow jesus i've got really great news and i've got really bad news this morning the great news is with jesus you can get through every one of them the bad news is he doesn't take them away so you're like how many of us when you became a christian really actually genuinely it's some part of you believe that 
there will be at least less storms. If not completely God moving them out. And then about three days into following Jesus, you're like, this is not what I signed up for. <laughs> and I'll be honest with you, whether you're, whether you're in Wichita, whether you're in Sao Paulo, whether it's the 1st or 21st century, the reality of it is, is that you are going to face storms in your life. Right. You will. Sometimes they're, they're, they're huge to you, but when then you hear someone else's, you feel kind of embarrassed. Oh, yeah. You know, you're like, my storm stinks. You're, you're, you're awesome. Or sometimes you feel like the water is right at your eyeballs. And you're just, it's one day at a time. Maybe you feel that way about you and your kids, you and your spouse, you and God. The reality of it is, is if we're going to do this, we're going to live this life, especially with God, because we're going to face storms. And how you face them, not if, but how may be the single most determining factor about your eternity and many around you. Because they're a reality. Today we're going to look into a passage in Matthew 14 that I imagine is wildly familiar to most of us. Some of us are like, oh man, you probably preached on this thing more than I have. Some of you could probably just, just from memory tell the story about Jesus walking on the water. But I want to encourage us and I, that this morning, even if you've read it many times, I want to encourage you. My, one of the things I love doing, what I, I think I aim to do as we preach and teach, is to try to bring the Bible to life. Because I think sometimes, especially if we've been after this couple of decades, we've read the same passages, and the Bible gets to be a little bit two-dimensional. Kind of read it like a like a mediumly interested history book, and it becomes a story, and it becomes, and, and it's kind of like, oh, that's cool, or maybe even you have your quiet time and you, and you write a note, or eventually. And, if the Bible is like that, and, and Jesus is like that, and it's two-dimensional, and it's not real, and it's not, it's not people, it's not brothers and sisters in Christ, then what happens is you'll close your Bible and you'll leave it closed. And then you'll do it with your heart. And then you'll do it with your life, and eventually, we, I think we've all can see the people that have closed the Bible, closed their hearts, closed their lives, they drift out of the building, and eventually they drift away from God. That's what storms will do to you. Or they can drive you closer to him. And so as we, as, when I, as we read this, I want to try to bring this to life a little bit. And I think, now the truth of it is, is that I only get to preach half the sermon this morning. You got to go home and do the other half. And so I'm going to, I'm going to throw out a couple of points to me that are deep and amazing. And I think this is, this is a treasure trove. There is so much. But my encouragement, my hope is that maybe it will inspire you to go back to Matthew 14 this week and find a few more. Probably more than, and deeper and more personal than what I can bring out. But I want to share a couple of points from this passage. And I'm hoping by the end, of the, at the end of today, we'll have some great time of fellowship. I hear there's some food afterwards. That's always a great way. That, to me, I feel like that's, that's how you do it. Uh, Jesus said that heaven is a banquet. And I think that's why so many of the men who come to church were like, yes, that's what I'm talking about. Food. Uh, but that will come after, so you'll have to endure. Let's pick it up here in Matthew chapter 14. We're going to read together. Some of us are like, Jeff, where are your, where's your PowerPoint? Uh, we don't have one. We're, we're a little first century. I literally have my yellow pad, which I have received some persecution for. Oh. <laughs> they're like, man, I thought you were a young man. I'm like, I'm an old soul, baby. We got to go back. Sometimes you just need to open or, or click on your Bible, read, and then we'll talk about it together. We, we together, church. Can we do that this morning? Excellent. Verse 22. Let's pick it up together. And we're going we're gonna to pick apart some of the context as we dig in here. But as we are jumping into verse 22, 
we are starting this, by the way, this, this day of Matthew 14 is the most thoroughly documented day of Jesus' ministry. And so what happens is, is that we are picking it up probably towards, after a very probably 12-hour long work day, and we're going to get back to what's happened during that day, but where we're picking it up is probably mid-late evening, after Jesus has fed the 5,000. And so when we pick this up, there has been a full day of ministry, unexpectedly so, and we're picking it up at the end, and actually it's going to take us all the way to about 3 in the morning. So this has covered probably something like 25, 26 hour long day for Jesus. So you're like, man, I've had some long days. I'm like, I think Jesus go, yeah, I've, yeah, I can feel that. Yep, yep. So as we pick this up, my hope is, is that I want you to not just see and understand. I want to try to help us to feel what it would be like being there. And to hear the feedback from the mic. So we're picking up verse 22. Does that make sense? So we're in the we're we're, we're somewhere in the uh, we're, we're a little bit west of Wichita maybe it's actually not slightly rolling hills maybe uh, slightly they fed five thousand people there's a massive crowd and Jesus picks him up in verse twenty two and this is what happens it says immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had dismissed them, he went on a mountainside, up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. This is the Sea of Galilee, by the way. During the fourth watch of the night, about 3 a.m., Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. It sounds like a campus brother's household. It sounds like a prank, doesn't it? It's like three in the morning, everyone's slightly like, you know, it's been a long night, whatever. Jesus is just walking nonchalantly in the dark out. I mean, this is a great, this is a great scary movie backdrop here. Verse 27, but Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Verse 28. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come out to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith. He said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Now, I'm going to throw out a couple of uh, appetizers for you to think about this week. And we're going to get back to a couple of them. But if you're like me as you read this story, there's certain things that kind of bother you. You read this, and you're like, man, none of this makes sense. And usually it's when Peter opens his mouth. When it says Peter replied, you're like, buckle up. Like, in my mind, it's like the guy in high school. You, you, want, him in, you want him in the car for the road trip. You just don't want him driving. I feel like Peter's the guy that if he's hanging out with you, like I can imagine in high school, like if, if he's, that, he's that friend that if he's hanging out that night, someone's getting arrested. I mean, the stuff that comes out of his mouth, you're like, and in this passage, it's no different. 
Has it ever bothered you when Jesus comes out and he's like, it's I, and his response is, Lord, if it's you, we're going to get back to this. Why is he testing that it's Jesus? He doesn't go, hey, chill out, it's Jesus. He goes, no, it's I. You're like, I who, man? Another thing that's always stood out to me, maybe you can go back and think about this, and at the end of it, it says then, Peter and Jesus get on the boat, and it says that those that were in the boat worshiped Jesus, saying, truly are the Son of God. I'm like, Peter, you knucklehead? You're not going to worship? Only the guys on the boat? What hit me is actually, no, Peter had been worshiping him the entire time. It's not just the words we sing on a Sunday morning that's a part of our worship. It's the way we live our lives and the storms we face. What we're talking about this morning is a part of your worship. Does that make sense? Just a couple things. You you know, go go, go do some cool Bible study this week. I want to talk about two points. And the first one I want to talk about is embracing your storm. And like we talked about, look, no matter what, no matter how long you're around, you will face storms. Some small, some large. Usually, they get larger over time. And I don't know about you, maybe you're like me. I, I kind of go to the gym. I like, you know, uh, people were stealing my lunch money when I was a kid. So I had to do something about it. So my dad got me into martial arts. I'll get back to that in a second. And then I started lifting so that they'd leave me alone so I could eat. And so for me, what I found is like, you know, powerlifting, that sort of thing, that stuff's therapeutic for me. But you don't go into the gym to put less weight on the bar. But sometimes if we're not careful, what we want in our spiritual life is I want the storms to get easier. I want the weight to get lower. Rather than praying for strength, we pray for comfort. And God will comfort our soul, but he gives us the strength to carry on. And God didn't spare Jesus, his storms, and he won't spare you and me. And I wonder how that reality affects the way you see God today. How do you read the red letters in the Bible? Isn't it funny? Because like text messaging, you know, just like text, you can't read tones. So you kind of read tone into it. You know, maybe you're talking with your, your girlfriend or your boyfriend, your spouse. Hey, are we okay? Sure, period. Yeah, uh-oh, yeah, all, all the experienced husbands like, Lord have mercy, what? <laughs> like, can I get a smiley face emoji? Can I get a heart emoji? Come on, man, throw me a bone. Because the way you read that, no, it can, it can be, sure, right? I mean, it could be good, but you don't know. And so much about how you read text tells not about the person communicating, but how you see it. And I wonder, how do you read the red letters from Jesus? How do you read that? Is Jesus going, man, why, why'd you doubt? You a little faith. Come on. You've been here 35 years in the faith. Why does this shake you? Is that the Jesus you read? Or do you read a Jesus going, why, why'd you doubt? We, we're the only two people in human existence that have walked on water. Why are we doubting? Come on, man. I'm right here. And if you're not careful, what happens is your heart hardens and the way you see the Jesus that is walking with you on water, it begins to get clouded because our hearts harden. Does that make sense? And how we experience that and how we see Jesus through it matters immensely. I don't know, how many of us, when when things get hard, how many of us are fighters? All right, how many of us are fighters? How many of us are runners? You're like, things get hard, conflict happens, people don't like us, they get 
didn't, they didn't side hug us before church this morning. <laughs> Bro, what happened? Right? I mean, how many of us, and then you're like, you just avoid. And it's so funny when, when, when God will put a fighter and a flighter together. That's the best. Right? Especially if you do marriage counseling, you're like, all right, what happened? I yelled, what'd you do? I left the state. Oh, not really healthy communication patterns, yeah? But you don't have to run physically in order to run from storms. And I got my master's in counseling. I was talking with Alex yesterday. It was awesome. He got his social work. And now there's a couple. There's like, I think there's a, a master's in psychology degree. I got people. Okay, don't, yeah, we'll talk later. I, I need a lot of help. But it's funny to me that some people will go, like addiction isn't in the scriptures. I'm like, you're crazy. And I went back to get my master's counseling just to prove how crazy and wild my family is and after a master's degree later yep they are they're nuts my family is crazy generations of physical chemical sexual abuse it's just terrible because you don't have to physically run from the storm use misuse abuse and get addicted to things like drugs sex shopping gambling because you're trying to change how you feel and it's like Job 36, 21. Be careful that you don't turn to iniquity or sin, which you seem to prefer over affliction or pain. You ever find yourself going back consistently, old sins, old habits, because we're trying to change how we feel. We just don't want it to feel so hard. Does that make sense? But God doesn't spare us the storms. How many of us remember the, the movie Karate Kid? Okay, how many of us have watched Cobra Kai? You can be honest, we can confess, we're all family here. That has been mildly therapeutic for me. My, my childhood was like Karate Kid. So you know how they have at the beginning of the OG Karate Kid movie, there's like the kid, like bike gangs. Like the neighborhood bike gangs. Anybody remember, like BMX, when kids played outside way back in the day or whatever, right? <laughs> Man, that was me, and I was an only child, single dad, and so I was going over to a friend's house or cousin's house, which I didn't know super well, and I had my bike, not a good one. We didn't have a lot of money growing up. Dad was a you know military guy, um, enlisted dude. So we were out, we, and, and we were out visiting a cousin, and, and we were in the neighborhood and riding around the bikes, and there was like six or seven kids. It was like a bike gang. And I don't know what I did or what I still do that seems to attract bullies, they're like, that kid's a good target. I'm like, no matter where I was at, it just worked like a magnet. It was great. So the kids run it, and the kid, you know, and it's wild because the, like the, the, kid, the biggest kid is like, we're all like eight or nine years old, but he's like, he's like the size of Dale. I mean, he's just big jack beard. I'm like, you're like nine years old. How do you have a beard, man? Like, and it was, just, and I'm like, this is wild to me. There's a human growth hormone injection or something for this. What is going on? And they're chasing me around, bullying me. And I come back to the house, I mean, on my bike. You get motivated, right, when that's happening. I get in, and I talk to my dad. Now, my dad is an ex-military guy. Special forces, airborne, retired. And you know when kids, especially the boys, they're like, my dad can beat up your dad. I'm like, no, my dad will kill your dad. And no one will find the body. Like, don't know. Like, my dad, you know, and dad's always Superman to a young boy. You know, so there's that. So I come back to dad, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I got help. Dad. Kids. They're pulling me, he's picking on me, and I don't, I'm not logically thinking through the legal implications of a grown man beating up a child. I'm not processing that maturely. Amen. 
But I'm like, I got help. Dad, hey, come on. And he goes, great. And he gets up, not a lot of talking. And we get out there, and the kids are still there waiting for me. Biggest kid in the front, puffing out his chest. I'm like, you're done. My dad's going to smoke you, kid. It's done. And my dad's like, you, come here, and points at the kid. He, like, saunters over. My dad kind of draws two lines on the ground. And I'm like, I've been doing karate with my dad for a while. I do martial arts for probably about a year at that point. It's like, this is looking, he's like, you, at the line. And I was like, this is starting to look shockingly familiar, like a <laughs> tournament here. Dad, I'm sorry, I don't think you understood the request for this morning. And he told the kid, he said, you come up here. He's like, your, your buddies jump in, I jump in. It's you two, just you two. And he looked at me, he's like, do you understand? And I was like, doggone it, are you kidding me? This is not the request. I thought we the miscommunication here. And I looked at this, and I remember this distinctly. And I think sometimes we come back to God and we go, God, I just don't want the fight. I don't want the struggle. And what's amazing to me is we know these passages like 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has seized you except what's common to man. And nothing, nothing will hit your radar, will hit your life that you cannot overcome and withstand. Nothing. And sometimes we have all these things and these thoughts about who God is and the nature of his character. God is just. He is not fair. And Satan throws things at and temptations and fights and, and your way and storms that he wants to throw at you. And God goes, no, 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 Mark can't handle that one. Nope, Mary doesn't get that one. No, 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 he doesn't get that one. That's too much. That's too weird. They can't handle that. And every storm, every temptation that hits your life, every one of them, you can overcome every one of them. God is filtering it. In fact, he's not leveling the playing field. He's tilting it in your favor. And sometimes I think God has more faith in us than we do in him. And we go, that's too much weight on the bar spiritually. That's too heavy of a storm. The waves are too big. Do you know this woman? You had me marry, Lord. You, it's too much for me. Usually those aren't the couple's prayers. Usually that's a brother praying by himself, hopefully. <laughs> if not, yeah, that, that, that story will get around quick. God doesn't take away the fights. And any parent in here knows that a storm-free life is not a gift. It's a curse. God doesn't need the storms. You do. Romans 5 is very clear. We love quoting it when other people are suffering. <laughs> suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance, perseverance, character, like, hang in there, kid. You know, you can do it. But when we're in the moment and the heat gets turned up and the struggle gets turned up, we're sharing our faith and people are just, they're hating on us or they're coming at us or it's, it's the difficulty. We're in the middle of the storms. God's a great father. Some of you are like, but Jeff, these are all good points, but who won the fight? Some of the guys are like, no, but who won? Well, of course I won. I couldn't have told this story if I didn't win. But I only won because a couple of months before that, I was at a world tournament and got beat by like the six tall nine-year-old from India. Got destroyed. And I remember the fear. And I remember the shame. And the storm when I was only fighting for points 
prepared me from when I was fighting for something bigger. What's God prepping you for? What's he working on your character? You need it. You need to grow. And the people around you are watching you to see it. But I'll tell you what, if you're not careful, you'll fall in the way the world does it, and you'll want to flee and run away from every storm, every fight. I just don't want it. I'm just tired, Jeff. Do you understand how exhausted I am? I go, I think I can, re- I think I can relate to some of that, yes. But we all have that version of it, especially coming out of pandemic, COVID. It's our faith. It's the world. It's politics. It's questions. It's racism. It's poverty. It's drug addiction. It's my family. It's my kids. It's, it's, and we all feel it. We all feel it. And the world, maybe more now than ever before, is putting a gun in their mouth or a handful of pills because they cannot handle it. And we've got Jesus. And I don't know about you, there is, every time I've ever ran from something hard, I've never been left with anything except shame, fear, and guilt. Never. I've never ran away from a hard thing and felt better. Have you? I can't think of one time. Now, I'm not talking about a physical fight when my ego wants to react and I go, I need to get out of here. I need to do, I need to do the hard thing, which is walk away and not, and not engage. Not Snap back at my wife because I'm irritated or snap at my kids because I'm tired and impatient, but do the right thing. Embrace the storm. Not simply tolerate it, but, but embrace it. And I think as we study this passage, what's wild and interesting to me is that if you're not careful, you're reading this passage and you think that the biggest storm is the one that Peter is facing with the winds and the wave. And by the way, I mean, some of us are like, man, I follow Jesus. At least some of these storms are going to get removed. You've got to realize that Peter, James, and John, at least, and Andrew, were fishermen, professional fishermen, multi-generational family business, that were doing their fishing on this lake, this very Sea of Galilee. They knew it. They knew when the storms were coming. And in fact, if they weren't following Jesus, they would have been home probably around a cozy fire. They wouldn't have been all seen the storm coming. And even if they didn't, Who sent them on the boat that day? It was Jesus. Just like, I got you. And sometimes Jesus, even God himself, will send you into the storms you need. And I look at this, and I think, oh, man, Peter, look how heroic. If you're like me, I go, man, Peter, man, got out of the boat. But I actually think that the winds and the wave were not the biggest storm in this chapter. By far. Because anybody remember by memory, when, at the very beginning of this chapter, why is Jesus even out in the hills where the 5,000 find him to get fed? What happens the very first thing in the morning? Anybody remember? Yeah. Jesus got the news that his cousin was assassinated. And there, if any of us in here have lost people close to us, you know what grief feels like. Disney doesn't always get it right, but if you've ever watched the movie Frozen 2, there's a song about that, how, how grief has a gravity to it. There's a confusing, there's a cloud, there's a, there's a weight to it. And, that, that's, and now we're not even just talking about that, that he lost his cousin to natural causes. He's preaching and dies in the pulpit. No, that's not how John the Baptist went out. They cut his head off. They murdered him. 
He was a cousin, his best friend. He was the harbinger. He was the prophet, proclaimer of the coming Christ. Mattered deeply, deeply to Jesus. In fact, Elizabeth getting pregnant would be a miracle of its own right. And not to mention that a group, I mean, at least four of Jesus' own disciples were disciples of John the Baptist first. And Jesus hears the news, and the whole day begins with the news of, of he's been murdered, and he goes away with his best friends to pray and get out of the, of the ministry of the city. He's trying to get out. And 5,000 plus people find him. And what do they want? Food. And the entire day, not one recorded moment, not one, where someone goes, Jesus, how are you? Hey, Jesus, do you need some food? What do you need? Do you want to take a break? Do you want to take a seat? Not one time, even with the disciples of John, no one grabs Jesus. Nobody. And not one time does Jesus go, are you kidding me? This generation, i got to put up with you. and Oh my goodness, will one of you not be selfish? Has anybody learned anything? Not one time. Our Jesus, our Lord, is just overflowing with patience and mercy in the middle of the grief. And I think if we're going to embrace storms, one of these keys that we've got to get right, especially the older we are in the faith, is maybe the single greatest of maturity which is the ability to see other people in their storm while you're in yours. Clinical language, we call it empathy. The ability to see, man, that it's not all about my pain, it's not all about my experience, it's not all about what I've been through and what I think and what I feel. As important as it is, when I can see, no, no, Sean's going through something while I'm suffering too. And it starts by opening up the Bible and seeing what Jesus is going through. Because the longer I read the Bible, the more storms I face, the more I look at Jesus. And I just, I'm more amazed. His patience, his grace. And I go, this is what he does for 5,000 people that won't ask a question of him, of how he's doing in the middle of the grief. Do you know how proud and how incredibly gracious he is with you and me here as we're enduring our storms? I don't think it's the Zeus kind of Jesus, you know, throwing down angry. You have little faith. You doubt. I don't think that's how Jesus is saying or looking at us at all. I think he's going, you and me, we're in this together, man. Come on. I wonder if Jesus didn't walk on water because he's like, I don't want 5,000 more clowns asking me for food. <laughs> Just direct route, baby. I'm out of here. <laughs> Can you see any other storm other than your own? When you're uncomfortable, when you're in pain, when it's difficult for you, when you don't get what you want, is that the only thing you're consumed with? It's what we expect of toddlers. It's not what we expect of grown men and women. But spiritually, training our maturity to be that requires us, you and me, to embrace our storms. And I think seeing and turning this key of seeing who Jesus is and empathizing, seeing what he's going through, it transforms how we see him and it transforms the strength you have in facing your storms. 
And then we take it a step further, and then we start seeing how each other are going through their storms as well. And then what happens is the church stops being a group of people that we're just bothered with. And we start seeing that we're sitting in a room of heroes. And we start caring and we asking questions. No, Mark, tell me about it. what are you going through? What do you need? And someone walks in late and we stop going, man, would you just show up on time? And we go, how are you? Are you okay? And when, when, when someone's not sitting in here, we call them and we go, are you all right? Yes, we miss you. And, and it changes, it transforms who you are and how you deal with storms and how you help people through theirs. Does that make sense, church? And I think as, I, as Jesus comes to life out of the storm, I go, he's just amazing. He's incredible. And this is the God that goes, no, 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 I've, no, take heart, I've overcome the world. And I'm preparing you a place. You overcome too, right? Remember in Revelation 2 and 3, it's for those who overcome. Those who overcome, those who overcome, you're getting a, a, you know, a stone with your name on it. You're like, okay, I was hoping for a little more than that. <laughs> and then God goes, no, no, it's a name that's just known between you and me. Not only do I know you, I've renamed you. Get in here. And I want to I I say this may be the single most important thing that many of us, especially if you were 20, 30, 40 years old in the faith, having the conviction to empathize and to see Jesus in his storm and each other in yours may be the single most empowering and, is this a word, disembittering? It's the way you get the poison in your heart and the bitterness and the hurt out and you start to see the courage and the gratitude grows because of who's sitting beside you. That's why the church is such a blessing. Warts and all. Warts and all. And I want to say, before we kind of jump on the second point here, which is significantly shorter, amen. (laughs) I think this to me, this has resonated deeply with us. You could probably tell. Because we've been in the middle of our stuff as well. And I remember we, we, we arrived on the 4th of July. We were, dry, we were walking through the Houston airport. It was like, I don't know, 5 a.m., 4 and a half, 4, 4.30, something, 4 o'clock in the morning, something like that. Walking to the Houston airport, we've just had an all-night flight from Sao Paulo. And you can imagine a 7 and 6 and a 4 and a half year old sleep amazingly well on a plane. And if they are, their foot is in like your kidneys, right? You're just like, oh, like right next to you. So mom and dad, we... We didn't sleep well. That 40-minute nap in the nine-hour flight was great, right? And we're walking through the Houston airport. We've got pretty much everything we own. We've got our five checked bags, five carry-ons, and a couple, a couple of like, uh, kind of like trunk-type things. And we're carrying. We've got two hand carts and our kids. And when a four-and-a-half-year-old and a six-year-old decide that they're no longer interested in walking, <laughs> we have two more pieces of luggage. That's just how it is, man. Pick him up or go nowhere. And so Amanda's got Trey, he wants mom, and I've got Juniper, and we're walking. And I remember, it was just how tired, and I started to feel mad. You ever get that way? Some people, was, I'm not like an angry normally. I get tired, and I start getting frustrated and mad. And I remembered, right before we left, it was the week before we left, and, you know, we, were, we had to get rid of everything pretty quick, you know, on the move back, and... We were going through the girl's bedroom. You know, we had like stuffed animals, 
you know, one of them was this great gal named Kalini. She was, I think, 22 or so, maybe 24. She was in the 22. She was in the campus ministry studying the Bible, coming around for a long time. Folks were coming to church. They were studying the Bible, making this and follow Jesus it was amazing. She had studied a few times. This was probably the third time. She'd been around for a while. And everyone just wrapped their arms around her. She was a part of the family, loved our kids. And she had studied the Bible and decided that she just wanted a boyfriend. She just wanted the world. And she kept coming to church, loved the church. It was like family. And over at our family, eating our food, you know, it was great. Hanging out. She loved our daughters. And she gave them one of, like, this, this unicorn. And my daughter, I don't know why, put a pull-up diaper on the unicorn because <laughs> mythological creatures have those kinds of issues i guess no it's just how it is so and we were going through everything needing to donate and give away and having those great talks of man god gave us all these awesome stuff and someone else gets to enjoy them and so we were holding them and, and, and going through their 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 stuff in the, the girls room and i remember that kalini had given them this unicorn and actually right before we left you know as we were literally holding this unicorn we got a text message about kalini because she had gained some weight, she was kind of, it was kind of weird. She went to the doctor, and what they had found is that she had she had a huge stomach, some a tumor in her stomach. She actually had two of them. One was really small, one was really big in her stomach. She went in and removed it, the big, the larger one. That was successful. She was in recovery. The small one grew so rapidly over the course of a couple of days, couldn't treat it. She died. And we were looking at the text messages, and we were like, we just saw her in church like two weeks ago. She was just having dinner in the house. And we were holding the unicorn going, I, and it was, I think, a week almost exactly before we left Sao Paulo. And Amanda, you know, especially in the developing world, you, you can't wait. The, the two, three days max, they're having, they're having the funeral. Things have to move very quickly. And so they're having the funeral. And this was an only, this was an only child of this, this older family. It's, you know, probably, you know, a room something similar like this. There's an open casket, and mom and and mom is just wailing. Why, God, why my daughter? Deus was just, just, just lamenting. And I couldn't help but to remember as we're walking through the Houston airport, and I'm carrying my daughter, and I am, I'm angry tired. And I can't help but to think of that dad and going, he would empty his bank account to be tired like this. He would give decades of his life. He would empty every dollar in his bank account to have my problem. And you know what? It changed me immediately in how I felt about that. And it wasn't, and it wasn't just hurt. It was gratitude. I get to be tired and hold my daughter. I get to see her face. I've got moments left. And I think that's what it happens when we start seeing other people in their storms. It doesn't necessarily change how difficult it is. It changes you. And you face it with gratitude and courage and strength. And there's a side of you and an energy and a depth of conviction that comes out that you didn't know you had. And that's what your example does because other people watch it too. Does that make sense, family? Let's talk about the second point very quickly. Amanda really likes the second point. I do too. Is all this making sense? In theory, someone's like, you're bilingual. I'm like, I do speak Portuguese. I'm not sure I remember all the English. So hopefully this is all making sense. Second point I want to talk about, he's got to embrace the full 
call of Jesus. Guys, there's, there really is no substitute for a genuine, real personal walk with Jesus. Period. There is no substitute. We live in a world where we're trying to find many of them. Podcasts, books, commentaries, you got YouTube preaching, I hit play. I don't open my Bible, I hit play, and I listen to someone else chew the food for me. It's becoming very popular because it's easier. I get it. I get the... (laughs) I'm a preacher and I like to do that. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, I get it. But you can imagine the conversation that would happen between like Laura and Tony. If Tony's like, hey, Jeb, I got, man, I'm, my work's picking up. I got to travel to Kansas City, you know, once a week now. Things are changing a little bit for my job. Could you take Laura out on a date for me this week? It's weird. Like, I might have a talk with Amanda about using this as an illustration. She's like, what do you mean you taking? Yuki, I can't take your wife on a date for you, bro. What if I did? We both got bigger fish to fry. That's a terrible situation. And that's not how relationships work. And if you need that, then we will talk after service. That doesn't work. And it doesn't work with Jesus. And you go, well, no, 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 I'm hanging out having conversations. I'm listening to a podcast. Interesting and fine enough. Some of them are better than others. Some of them I would, I think, are poison, slow acting in a lot of our congregation. Because we've started believing certain preachers, teachers, podcasters, instead of going back to the truth and having our heart and our mind and our standard of our life and the way we are going to feel and react. Your emotions are simply trained reactions to what's happening. That's It's not something independent inside you that you can't control. You can train that. Not often, not but walking with Jesus, you can be transformed. But walking with Jesus is not a given. You're like, I got baptized 34 years ago. Jesus is Lord. Great. But what did you say this morning? Getting married once 20, 30, 40 years ago, or even 20, 30, 40 days ago does not mean you will stay faithful. It is a daily decision, and it's one that takes investment. I don't know about you guys. I, I love, there's certain things I absolutely love. Have anybody been to Washington, D.C. and seen the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier? Anybody seen that? If you haven't, man, you can see the video. It's unbelievable. And since 1937, they, what they set up was were these tombs of unknown soldiers that had passed in service, but they were unidentifiable. I think one of them has been identified in the course of the last 70 or 80 years or so, 90 years almost. But I think, I think there's four left that are unidentified, if I remember correctly. I think one from each branch of the service. I think someone's going to check the notes on that. Forgive me if I've got that wrong. I believe that's how it's set up. But from 1937, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, there have been tomb sentinels, guards, that have been walking and protecting. And they are, tr- they, they are some of the most well-trained, immaculately decorated soldiers in the military service. There have been hurricanes. There have been blizzards that have hit D.C. And there, I think there's, there's a handful of times over the course of that 80-year period, 85-year period, and they said, you can stand down. And what did the tomb sentinel say? No, thank you, sir. They have, they have what, 37, 35 pages of information they have to memorize. It is the second most rare medal to be awarded in the army. The, on, the first one is the army astronaut. 
The second one is a tomb sentinel. There have been about 620 of them, 622 badges that have been awarded. And they have been guarding their fellow fallen brethren that they can't identify, they don't know their stories. And the honor, and when you watch it and you're there, they're like these, these roped off areas. And if you step in, they will stop, look at you, and tell you to back up. And if you don't listen, their weapon is loaded. They're not kidding around because they do not know your intentions and will not trust them. It's wild. If you've ever been there, it, it's, 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 it's solemn. It is, a, it, is, it is a righteous thing to watch them and their dedication you just watch it and it's just unbelievable. They basically have taken apart and rebuilt their entire uniform so there are no stray, there is no stray lines, there's not, they, they are immaculately decorated as they guard their brothers. And if you're there, it's moving, it's inspiring. And I think sometimes Christianity can become a little bit like that where we become, we, we sit in the pews or we, we sit on the side and we're watching. Oh man, Ken and Lana, they're so awesome sharing their faith. He's up here singing. Man, they're serving. Oh man, these, oh man, we've got the, the president of the board. We were talking with Dale yesterday. Oh man, serving with their gifts. And what happens is we become spectators watching an amazing, moving performance. Man, look at our brothers. Look at the way they serve. Look at the way they think about Jesus. And if we're not careful, discipleship becomes like that. It becomes an experience we're seeking as we watch others in their devotion. But that's never, and I think Satan wants this. He wants you to have an emotional experience that stops at the rope's edge. When actually what Jesus wants is for you to get out of the boat too. And sometimes, if you've ever seen that, that show on TV, Wipeout, Remember that? Sometimes that's actually what discipleship feels like. You're watching leaders just get just eaten alive. You're like, I'm never being a leader. That's terrible. They're just getting destroyed, right? If you've ever seen it, they get folded in half. They just get the whole thing's about how far can you go before you get destroyed by the obstacle course. Either way, Satan is very happy for you to be bitter or inspired merely as a spectator. When we're all supposed to be on the field together. And there is no substitute for that. Is that what your discipleship has become? Or have you kind of become a connoisseur of fine preaching? Like, Tony could use a little more humor and a little more, what is that? A little more Greek, I think. We could use that, you know, in his, his teaching. You know, we kind of become Monday morning armchair quarterbacks. And good, we all want feedback, amen? We all want to use our gifts and grow in our gifts. But when we simply become a consumer and we're not players on the field in this, then we've forgotten what the church is really about. That the storms is training all of us. And that your neighbors and your kids and your spouse and your parents and your friends, they're watching you as you face your storms. And there are Peters that are watching you come across the water and when and that they'll get out of their boat if they think it's possible. And then they watch it come true in your life. It's hard in your marriage and you're fighting for it. And, and then you get to the other side of that storm and it's better than ever. Man, that's what the world wants. And I think we've become convinced without Jesus that it's not possible. And because of our fear, 
these men in the boat could not identify Jesus. That is how powerful fear is. They couldn't identify the face or the voice of Jesus. What clouds your vision from seeing him? You're like, Jeff, I won't ever become like this. These 12 guys had been following Jesus for about, at this point, maybe a year and a half, possibly two years. They were hearing his voice every day. And the winds in the wave blocked him out, and they couldn't. It's I. I who? Because what's Peter's response? Lord, if it's you. Lord, if it's you. And it makes me wonder, one, you know, sometimes you got to go, God, is this really you? That was the problem with Balaam, right? You can go back and read that. I've been studying out Jude and looking and just tearing it apart. Like that letter is written to our church right now. It's unbelievable, the letter of Jude. But I'm like, sometimes, man, we're so focused on what we want to do, we don't see the angel with the sword in front of us on our path and trying to move us. They couldn't identify Jesus because their fear went so deep. On a, on a lake they grew up fishing in, they had been in a storm like this countless times. And sometimes, no matter how many times you face the, f- the storm, the fear doesn't go away. No matter how many times you share your faith, you still got the butterflies? No matter how many times you got to go, hey, bro, can we talk about something from the other day? That confrontation, the little ones that feel like Goliaths, sometimes the fears and the butterflies don't go away. The goal isn't to have them go away. It's to walk through them. And this point is how, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out to you on the water. How do you test and make sure it's really God calling you? How do you do it? When the fear gets big and the storms get heavy. Because it's wild to me that this point has bothered me for like two decades as a Christian. Peter, of all, like, it seems crazy. Why is that? That's his litmus test. That's his like, if it's you, Jesus, tell me to come out to you. And where we're going to end, turn back 10 chapters to Matthew chapter 4. This is where we're going to end today. Sorry, gang, I'm going long today. If Shara's happy, everyone else is going to have to get in line. Because, so. Why did Peter, when the fear... And his vision was so intensely obscured he couldn't see Jesus. Why was his, why did he go, Jesus, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out to you on the water. Look at this, where it all, this is the, in in, in Matthew chapter 4, on the same exact lake, maybe a year and a half before this moment, we see in verse 18, it says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Verse 18, what did Jesus tell him? Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and followed him. There's a shocking lack of fine print details on that, is there not? Because if you're me, you're like, where are we going? Is there food there? How long are we going? Should I bring some clothes? Are they going to kill us? 
No one really likes you. Are they not going to like me too? What language do they speak? Shouldn't I do, get Duolingo? Should I download that? Do I need my charger? Should I bring a snack? You know, I mean, should I tell mom and dad goodbye? I mean, I've got questions. Come, follow me. We, we train our kids. If the weirdo rolls up and says, hey, kid, come follow me, you go, stranger danger, I'm out of here. <laughs> and this is how Jesus starts it. He goes, no, 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 come follow me. On the same lake, in the same kind of boat, in a place that, that Peter and his brothers found security and built businesses, and now they, had, they walked away from this, and when it got hard and they couldn't see Jesus, how did Peter go, how do I know it's Jesus? Because Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come and follow you. Because that's where it starts and that's where it ends. No matter where your boat is and no matter where Jesus is, will you follow him? Into the waves, into the wind, to a cross, down on your knees to serve, opening your mouth and proclaiming, crying with your brother and sister, praying for them, or even having to give your life Will you follow him? And is your faith that simple, but that profound? Jesus said it, so I'll do it. When was the last time you opened the Bible and had a quiet time, had a a time with God where you read something and went, I need to change. And your life was different because of what you read. Not someone hounding you until you changed. Go, why are we so legalistic in the church? Man, why do we keep talking about evangelism? I'll stop talking about it when you start doing it. Fair? Because some of this is like, man, we don't want to hound each other. We're all in this thing together, and we've got a world to win. And there are people killing themselves because we don't have, they don't have what we would call a boring Sunday morning. It's terribly sad. But the, the world couldn't need men and women will follow Jesus more than ever before. Brothers, sisters, friends, I don't know what storm you're in. Jesus does. I don't know how you're feeling about some of the brothers or sisters on the other side of the room. Jesus does. Some of us are like, oh man, God knows my heart. That is a more of a scary phrase than a comforting one. I'm like, oh, I kind of wish he didn't know it as much as he does, huh? But what is a beautiful, powerful promise is that Jesus has gone through every storm. And if you follow him, you will get through every one of them. Every one of them. And I would encourage you, friends, that look around and start seeing other people in their storms. We find courage in one another. We find inspiration. We find heroes that are sitting on the other side of this room. Talk to people. Ask them. Connect. You feeling bitter? Feel like you can't forgive? Start, by, start with curiosity know the storm they're going through and I guarantee you your heart begins to transform and change and you have a challenge where you're like I can't even see Jesus I don't even know where to go start by just opening up the Bible and getting back to just following him you go Jeff but it's hard I know but it's worth it but Jeff this is difficult I know but it's worth it and you are not alone your king is calling you and we've got a great group of just incredible friends around us. I hope this morning, which I want to encourage all of us, no matter where you're at or if you're visiting, grab the person who brought you, if you're visiting. And make us just ask them, can we open up the Bible and read about what Jesus is calling us to do? What is that? Because we've got a lot of opinions about that. But going back to Jesus is the only way you know. 
But some of us who have done that for a lot of years still grab a friend and go, hey, can we open up the Bible and look at what Jesus is calling us to do again? Yeah. And taking it back to the basics. Wichita, you guys have had an unbelievable hospitality. Thank you for loving our kids. Thank you for inviting us. It is an honor and a privilege to be with you, and I hope this has encouraged you today. Have a great Sunday.